Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 40 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. New Angelo, happy new year. So, Brian, what are we doing tonight? We're talking about a new year. That's what we're doing. Our new year's wishes, our new year's desires, etc., etc. I think people can tell I'm starting to get annoyed with the whole happy new year thing, but I'll, 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 I'll entertain you one last time. Oh, that's fine. Go happy ahead. new year. Oh, thank you. Uh, now, first things first, you're old. Let's get into that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and this is, so let's give some context, right? So last week was your first opportunity um, to use logic in order to be able to edit the podcast. I did. I really enjoyed it. It works really well. Um, it actually makes my workflow a lot faster. I don't know if people care about listening to us talk about editing podcasts, but it's technology, I guess. And uh, usually we'll do a pass of an episode whenever one of us ed- edits, mostly you. And you do one pass, maybe two, uh, if there's like a mistake or something or some weird audio thing. How many passes did I have to do at uh, last week's episode? Five. Yeah, five. Uh, and the reason was because apparently in the first one, you kept hearing this weird room tone or something. And I could not, for the life of me, hear it at all. Yeah, it was a low-level kind of room tone, like a, like a, almost like a hiss. I didn't hear it at all. And then what I, I went down the rabbit hole of testing my hearing, which uh, every single site basically said I was completely on par for my age. Everything was totally fine. And then I listened to some actual audio clips of people using denoising um, software to, to remove background hiss from any source, really. And the thing is, I would listen to the before and after things, and I would hear absolutely no difference. But due to your age. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, the fifth pass was fine, which is the one uh, everyone listening to this heard. So uh, it worked out fine. I'll uh, probably be editing this episode as well. So if you hear any low-level room tones, you know which uh, Twitter account to uh, at. And that would be? Oh, yeah. At Angelo Fiorin. There we go. Uh, at <laughs> Twitter.com. <laughs> <laughs> twitter.com my friends yeah uh how was your experience and i guess before i forget to mention uh i kind of get where you're feeling from where sometimes like i majored in communications in university and a lot of the times you'll go down the rabbit hole of uh working on a, a sound design project or something and you think it sounds just fine as you continue and then when you take a step back you finally realize that it was nowhere where you wanted it to be so i, I kind of can commiserate about uh having to have so many passes last week well, and that's the thing. The first pass, I totally couldn't tell what was wrong. And then I did a second and third pass. And with those, I can tell something was wrong. And ultimately, we figured out that I was kind of uh, mixing it too loud. And then the fourth pass, which I thought was fine, you messaged me and said you sounded like you were on Skype, which, yes, we use Skype to communicate, but we don't use Skype to actually make our final file. And when I listened back, I had completely messed up the... Uh, the the low pass filter so you sounded terrible in the queuing anyway besides the point last week's episode turned out fine future episodes will turn out fine we're just i'm just kind of getting my bearings with uh new software which it is really like like garage band pro but uh it's still a little different and the version of garage band brian uses is uh, way better than the newer versions of the garage band because it was like sort of what i think you have like the 2011 version of garage band yeah, like or the early 2012, like right before they did switch over to like the new consoles. Yeah, and you have a little more control with a few things, so which I love. Yes, of course. 
But with Logic now, I have crazy amounts of control, almost too much that it's overwhelming. <laughs> well, let's see how crazy you get next week when you decide to, I don't know, uh, throw in some background music, maybe uh, pretend that you're talking to yourself. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of things that you can do. I have like 13,000 Apple loops I can drop in at any moment. Uh, but look, some fun follow-up, though, from uh, last uh, from two episodes ago. We had mentioned uh, Desdemona had done that really great artwork for Rob, and she decided to do one for one of our titles. So I'll put the link in the show notes. We had tweeted about it, uh, I guess, a few weeks ago at this point, because obviously we don't record uh, day and date when we drop this. But uh, I thought it would be a great idea to put it in the show notes. It's really funny. It's an, How would you describe it? Uh, Satan as an ice cream cone? Yeah, pretty much. It's a very cutesy Satan wanting, uh, you know, it's a nice cone with horns and a smile. It's pretty great. If you were a niche uh, ice cream parlor, this might be your logo. Actually, that's a great idea. Well, speaking of things that we talked about, we talked about The Office a little while back, right? We did. We had mentioned, uh, it was last week when we brought up The Blacklist, and I said I liked Robert California, and you said you didn't. That is quite correct. Those last few seasons are hot garbage. I disagree, but that's for uh, another time. Uh, but uh, you had uh, pointed me to a YouTube video, uh, which is an ad for a program or an app. I have to stop calling them programs, start calling them apps, I guess, right? Like that's the proper nomenclature in this modern parlance. We both date ourselves with that at this point. Yeah. You know, uh, program.exe. Yeah. So it's the program FileMaker or FileMaker Pro. Anyway, it's a, it's a company that was a subsidiary of Apple, which normally you don't really see that, right? You kind of see, it's weird that the way they present it at the end of the commercial, but uh, does he say part of the Apple family or something bizarre like that? Yeah. And it's uh, three characters from The Office, and this continues with the weird coincidences we've been experiencing. Right, so uh, the characters of uh, the actors who played Toby, Meredith, and Stanley were uh, in the commercial. Did you watch the whole commercial? I did, it's funny. Uh, so I found the commercial really uh, totally was really weird because like they all ran a company, but they just they hung around all day and there's all these like weird clones of the same person. Like I felt the commercial was trying to be zany and wacky w- by missing the mark most of the time. Unfortunately, it was really bizarre. Uh, I, I, I guess it was kind of fun seeing those characters again. I, I was always a fan of Toby because he was such a sad sack, uh, but he was ultimately kind of fun. And uh, Meredith was always entertaining, and Stanley had his weird uh, presence where he was kind of just always grumpy. And that kind of translated into this one, too. It worked out well. And uh, there was drones and clones, all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, I just, I didn't, I felt like it was just a smorgasbord of, of um, strangeness that never really uh, hit a peak. Yeah, pretty much. It just kind of uh, was there. It's. Uh, Again, I just kind of thought it was kind of funny because we talked about The Office. We talk about Apple from time to time on occasion. And they kind of got all meshed together, uh, making for a strange double-density coincidence. Speaking of uh, double-density and things that we'd like to talk about, I think it's time for another PSA, right? So we've done PSAs on uh, backing up files. We've done PSAs on changing your passwords. Uh, This PSA is a little bit different, a little bit more targeted. This PSA goes out to anyone who has to deal with any sort of uh, uh, public-facing internets, and that is uh, the idea of a good user interface. Always make sure that your user interface is going uh, to be working properly, which was not the case a couple of weeks ago in Hawaii, right? Unfortunately, there was... uh, 
a few moments of panic. Well, I think it was 38 minutes to be exact, where uh, a message went out across uh, all uh, mobile phones. I think it, the way that works, it's your phone is basically allowed to receive uh, messages from whatever state or province or country you're in automatically. Is that right? Yeah, right. So any uh, location that you're in, you give the government certain uh, uh, abilities on your phone. Yeah, for example, you'll see an Amber Alert from time to time, or if there's a real warning. In this case, it was the frightening warning that there was a, a missile headed towards Hawaii, which obviously with what's been going on in the news with North Korea, this is a real possible threat. And it came down to the fact that the UI of the program, there's that word again, that the government uses to send these alarms to people was kind of wonky, to say the least. Well, the problem is that the interface date backs to something that like the mid-90s would call home. Um, and then the other thing, too, is that apart from just the look of it and the feel of it, um, the way in which uh, things were named wasn't very clear either. It wasn't at all. And to confirm that you're sending out this warning, it was just a uh, yes or no button, essentially, once you came in. And people brought up uh, the, the original picture that came up that people were touting as bad user interface was actually not real or it was not the correct thing that somebody would see. It was basically a set of templates. But the people have dug into it. There's a few articles we'll post in the show notes where they actually kind of figured out which company makes this, and they showed what the interface of it is. And it's not great, but again, most things, it's kind of sad to say, but these very utilitarian business-like things usually don't have the greatest user interface. I don't know about what you use at work, but what I use at work, the user interface is its not the most friendly of uh of user interfaces. It's it's definitely not Audio Hijack, which I find has some of the best user interface I've used. Plug, uh, plug, plug. Yeah, well, not that we get paid, but I like Audio Hijack. It's it's It works really well. The way you place together your little blocks that create your, uh, your audio inputs is really intuitive and works really well. Um, so I think you're getting to a larger point that's really interesting too, is that um, in a lot of these uh, commercially available things that are uh, created uh, for both uh, business and governmental purposes, a lot of the time uh, UI and UX are the last things that people think of, right? It's an afterthought. It's basically get the product out there, make sure uh, as many people are at ease with using it, but does it have to be pretty? Not really. Uh, like for example, Windows and Mac OS I feel both now have been around for so long that the user interface, uh, you, you may have a preference of one over the other, but neither, neither is perfect, but neither is completely offensive. They both work quite well. You can figure things out. Uh, obviously, both of us prefer macOS to Windows, but in both ways, it doesn't really get that much in your way. Whereas what we saw with this uh, piece of software it seemed like the person using it kind of had to struggle with the UI to get to what he needed to do, which was, in this case, test uh, an emergency message, not actually send one out. Right, and there's a very... If you take a look at some of the screenshots and some of the articles that Angela will post uh, in our show notes, there's very little uh, in terms of differentiation between the two, which is very problematic. If you're a civil servant or someone who's, I don't know, not really uh, paying 100% attention, as you could be with these kinds of things... 
although one should say that he should have been paying 100% attention, but in his mind, it was just a test. So uh, I kind of feel bad because everybody was calling for this guy to be fired, but people make mistakes. And Mm. the thing is, in this case, yeah, it was a bad mistake, uh, but was it completely his fault or was he kind of struggling with what to actually press? I'll, I'll make mistakes from time to time at work because I'll misclick on something. So here, a perfect example. I had to deal with some bad user, uh, user interface just a few hours ago. I had to register my child for uh, grade four for next year. And going in, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's Microsoft actually um, that user that, that created whatever is the underpinnings of the system. And it was kind of hard to find. So the instructions I had look for the such and such a school board, but the name of the school board wasn't as clear as it normally should be. And then I kept going. I put my daughter's birth date. Um, I put the month, which I saw. I clicked on April, and then I put in my uh, email address and everything, pressed the button, and it gave me a message saying something was wrong. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong. But when I finally looked through every line, I saw... Instead of choosing April, although I know I clicked on April, it went it went to March. So I guess the, um, I want to say the hit detection, that's like kind of from gaming, but uh, where I clicked with the mouse actually didn't go to the right place, even though I knew I what I wanted to do, and I was actually pretty careful. But luckily, I didn't register my daughter for the wrong school or anything. It just gave me the message saying it was wrong. It's just kind of annoying, and it was a little frustrating. Welcome to this week's episode of Old Timey Computing with Angelo Fiorentino. Yeah, I'm. Look, I, I have a certain way I do things, and uh, <laughs> that's the way I want them done. Uh, well, you can't be as bad as my ex coworker who would uh, type all of her emails in the subject line without realizing it. I guess you're a step above that at the very least. <laughs> I'll see that from time to time when I get an email, which uh, still boggles my mind. That and people sending me screenshots of emails they should just be forwarding me. Right. Uh, none of us is perfect, right? So I guess uh, you uh, had your editing foibles in last week. I had my uploading foibles. So uh, a little <laughs> bit of a discovery. So I have a DSL line here at the apartment and we're in an older building, right? So I'm running a DSL line into a phone line and uh, the phone lines around here aren't the best. So sometimes the internet will suffer a bit. And uh, I was trying to upload a high quality file to you and it had to restart two or three times in the evening in order for it to reach you, uh, which wasn't uh, smooth. You uh, feel like of a better term. It was kind of funny because we were actually talking on Skype while you started the upload and you just became a robot all of a sudden. And I said, what is going on? And he said, well, I'm uploading the file. And there we go, because it basically just destroys your uh, uploading bandwidth, which is what you use for Skype. Which is the saddest thing on earth, considering this isn't 2006 anymore. No, and there you go. You just kind of artifacted on me again uh, in listening to you. But uh, the listeners of the show will hopefully not hear that, because if they do, it means your file catastrophically failed, and I had to recover it from backup on the crappy Skype thing I'm recording on my end. Command S for me here. Uh, so just going back to what you were saying before about UI and UX, uh, something interesting that happened recently is that Snapchat recently uh, redesigned uh, the way that uh, users interact with each other and the way that uh, users access each other's stories. And now it's a stream and it's very hard to find the different compartmentalized um, private snaps and public snaps and things like that. And a lot of users are 
very angry about that because the thing is that like Snapchat had taken so long to update that a lot of users got comfortable uh, with the user interface. So therefore they were uh, quite vehemently and publicly angry about the update as evidenced by hundreds, if not thousands of uh, reviews of the update on the app store. I'm not sure if you'll be shocked to know this, but I've never used Snapchat. Really? So you've never used Snapchat. Have you seen screenshots of Snapchat at least? Yes. I've seen people use Snapchat uh, my and funny enough, my older sisters both use Snapchat. Uh, I'm like the younger brother who's the old man because I just don't get Snapchat. Uh, the thing is, is when when change comes to something that people are so into using, uh, for example, something I do use or try not to use that often, but use is Facebook. And whenever changes come to Facebook, people lose their minds. And I can understand this happening with Snapchat. From what I hear, like people don't like change. I. I we haven't changed to Windows 10 at work. We're still using Windows 7 because I don't know if this is true. The rumor is that they're afraid to make the change to Windows 10 because it is such a drastic change and a lot of people would have trouble adapting. And I understand that. Um, well, I don't. I, I would adapt to it, I guess, because I'm at ease with that stuff. But I can understand. I use 10 at work and it's not a huge difference from 7. I can tell you that right now. Oh, well, then uh, come over to where I work and let them know. Okay, I will create my PowerPoint for you. All right, perfect. Uh, the thing is, is what happens when people are upset with a redesign in an app, the app reviews get destroyed. Which, I mean, uh, is a pretty common sentiment, right? Like people, as you're saying, like, get used to certain things, get comfortable, they like the way things are, why change it, right? And the whole thing right now, I don't know if you read that, but a couple of weeks ago, the Daily Beast came out with um, some confident or formerly confidential information about how Snapchat was being used. It's kind of stagnated, right? And uh, as such, I guess Snapchat was trying to uh, not necessarily reinvent itself, but at least uh, turn the corner on uh, a design that it had thought had grown stale, but all it did was infuriate more users. And I wonder how that translates into people dropping off for other uh, apps or programs as uh, us older folks will call them. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm getting used to calling them apps. The thing is with Snapchat, they, they kind of grew really uh, big, really fast, and they ended up with that having a whole warehouse full of those weird snap goggles or whatever they're called. Is that what the they're called? The ones that didn't sell? Yeah. And they, they, were, they had started by selling them in these weird pop-up locations that were almost like exclusive or something. It was very strange. And now, yeah, there's a ton of them sitting in a warehouse and no one knows what to do with them. Well, so. they're going to bury them in a landfill next to E.T. The game, not the, <laughs> and not the little alien. I like how you specify that because gosh knows we can be burying little aliens in landfills. Yeah, poor aliens. Uh, switching gears though very quickly from uh, what's on our phones to our actual phones uh, a lot of people are wondering about phone addiction and it's uh, harmful ways when it comes to younger generations so is this a question of ui and ux being too too good so user interface and user experience being so good that people end up becoming addicted to their devices because it's so much fun to use and uh, that much easier to use than what was uh, around before so that now like you didn't see people getting addicted to their motorola star well unless they want to you know, like uh send a text message to a friend yeah and then uh that cost you like a quarter yeah and took 15 minutes to type out using t9 yeah t9 what t9 was the devil wasn't it okay so i never really sent a text message until i got an iphone in 2011 really yep never sent text messages really not even to your wife she never sent text messages either does she know that you have phones at the time 
before you sent texts? Yeah, we we would just talk on the phone like what thirty oh. something year olds did in uh, the uh, like I was gonna say the late two thousands, but yeah, I guess two thousand. Uh, well, we met in two thousand four, so like yeah, we would just call each other. We never texted or we emailed each other. Email was still a thing back then. You didn't there fax no each Twitter, other. Twitter, no Facebook. Did you say fax? Yeah, did you fax each other? No, we never faxed each other. There are so, no love faxes going on, right? No, no love faxes. So How do you, you even court a woman, Angelo? Without a love fax. Love fax. <laughs> Anyways, returning to the topic <laughs> at hand, though. <laughs> uh, tech addiction, phone addiction. Uh, a lot of people are worried about that, uh, especially amongst uh, younger users who seem tethered to their phones, right? So last month, I went to go see Star Wars with my girlfriend, and in the row back of us, there were a bunch of teenagers who were on Snapchat constantly. And then at the end of the movie, whether or not the movie was good, uh, kind of, uh, that is neither here nor there, but they were complaining that they didn't understand the movie Probably because they weren't even watching it. Yeah, that's a thing, I guess. Now people just always staring at their phones. I like to think I keep my phone away from me when I'm at home. If my kids are around, I try not to be anywhere near my phone. Um, is it a question of self-control? Do people, are they addictive? Um, I don't know if, if the phone itself is addictive. It's not like there's some... Well, I was going to say it's not like there's an, an inherent property that's addictive in it, like with cigarettes or alcohol, but we kind of looked at this a few months ago, and people are saying there is something that's addictive to things like getting likes and getting replies. There's like a bit of a dopamine hit when you get some interaction online, especially with somebody you don't necessarily know that well. So maybe there is something to these phones getting addictive, but is it a question of the manufacturers having to do something about it. There's all these uh, open letters coming out and possible lawsuits against Apple charging that their phones are too addictive. But is it really on Apple to do anything about this? Well, let me ask you this. What could Apple do? They do a few things now, especially for young children. And it's mostly with young children because you don't want to get little kids hooked to these phones. Adults can make their own decisions if they want to be texting and crossing the street. Uh, Who's okay. Before I forget, like who is you don't want to get these kids addicted? Like who, like, cause Apple's a faceless corporation and all it aims for is profits, right? So the idea of hugging them as young as possible would seem to be the logical point. I don't know. Tim Cook seems like a relatively uh, moral person. Right. Uh, but he's just one man in a sea of other corporate interests. Yeah, he has. He seems to practice and have a lot of control there, but I don't know. Uh, I do think that they seem to genuinely care. He could be lying, but he seems genuine when he says he he doesn't feel kids should be on these phones. And in fact, there's a, a recent article. It was I was going to put it in the show notes, but there's not much in it. But he does mention that uh, he doesn't want. Uh, he has no children, but he has a nephew, and he doesn't want his nephew to be hooked on social networks. He feels that's one of the worst things. Of course, he would say that because Apple doesn't have a social network. But it, those are the things that kind of hook people in. It's not necessarily uh, Android or iOS or a Windows phone, if you're one of those people, uh, but that actually hook you. That's the operating system. But it's the apps themselves. If I see people like glued to their phones when I'm, when I'm commuting, they're not like in like settings trying to like find the new <laughs> desktop, right? The, <laughs> they're playing Candy Crush or they're on Snapchat or they're tweeting or they're they're doing that. Like 
so it's the apps themselves that end up being more of the addictive thing. It's not the actual OS. Yes, Apple and Google or whatever can put parental controls to make sure that your kids aren't, like when you give the device to your child, it, it can't access certain things. But uh, guess what? Ultimately, it's not up to Apple to parent your child. I don't want to sound no, preachy, I'm, but... Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's you know, kids shouldn't be on their phones. They should be on their Pentium 2s programming in basic. And I think that's a very important point to make. But no, I do think that it's not up to the manufacturers themselves. I think it's up to people having conversations with their kids and making them understand that uh, beyond the phone, there exists a person. And unfortunately, uh, the way things are going, it's actually going the other direction, right? As is the case with this infamous uh, Tide Pod challenge. Oh, God, are we talking about that? We kind of have to, I think, at this point, because I think it's a perfect example of the way in which something maybe uh, 15, 20 years ago would exist as a curiosity online on maybe a forum has now uh, taken on a life of its own and that people are uh, challenging each other to eat these Tide Pods. Uh, and then uh, in this race for popularity and likes and being uh, known on the Internet, a lot of people are getting sick because of it. Well, you're eating poison, so you will get sick. Uh, it's funny. I was at uh, at Costco yesterday. And we're walking through the aisle where the detergent is, and there's like people showing Tide Pods and what they do. And I said, look, it's a taste test. And I had a good laugh to myself. My kids didn't find it funny because they didn't get it. And my wife gave me a dirty look, though. Yeah, because you're trying to encourage your kids uh, to act out on the internet, Angelo. That's why. I I almost, and we did, in fact, buy some Tide. Not the Tide Pods. We don't use that. But uh, I was going to send you a picture of my big giant thing of Tide. and Deliciously milky Tide. I was going to ask you if you wanted a nice shot. (laughs) <laughs> but I think this is perfectly emblematic of what we were just speaking on in terms of people um, being so narcissistic that they need to post uh, themselves doing these crazy pranks, right? It's just a prank, bro. So it's a prank. Do, do you understand? Like, okay, so you're more uh, understanding. Well, you understand these things more than I do. Not that you're more understanding of people eating Tide. Uh, where did this come about? Like, how did this happen? Do you have any idea? I mean, for a while, I was seeing a lot of t- uh, Twitter memes, people posting, uh, quote unquote, their supper of the evening and be Tide Pods, like elegantly laid out somehow. And I think it kind of grew from there and, and entered other realms uh, of actually going from like posting pictures to eating these things. So is this the earth kind of like starting to self-correct and uh, some sort of new phase of evolution and Darwinism and survival of the fittest? I mean, uh, the darkest part of me agrees with you. Uh, the saddest part of me hopes that isn't true. And somewhere in the middle of lies where I actually truly feel about this. I, I do think, unfortunately, like this is a calling of the masses, uh, uh, bluntly put, I think, unfortunately, and it's people who aren't paying attention to what they're actually doing and thinking that they're above it all in order for someone to either like their tweet or to retweet or to like and share their YouTube videos. Well, uh, speaking of Darwin and self-selecting and maybe the Darwin Awards, you um, brought back somebody who might be a future winner of a Darwin Award. Let's talk about one of my favorite people on Earth, Mad Mike Hughes and his rocket launch, which got canceled in November because what happened is that the government essentially realized that um, part of his launch plan would happen on government property. And they told him, if you do this here, we're going to arrest you. So he has since found a private strip where he can launch a an upright rocket off of a mobile home up into space. He lucked out by not being able to do it in November and not killing himself. And now he's going to kill himself the day before the Super Bowl. That's right. And <laughs> not only that, but of course, because uh, <laughs> Mad Mike Hughes is a uh, colorful, outspoken man, he had a lot of different things to say, both about his launch, the Earth, uh, conspiracy theories as well as 
being able to uh, investigate your fellow man. I'm going to read a couple of quotes uh, because I love his quotes. Please um, do. And then we'll discuss <laughs> what we think of these quotes. He thinks, so what had happened is that his website got hacked, right? Uh, and so people were redirecting his website to google.com as of last week. And he quotes as saying, it's the ultimate conspiracy theory. I hate to use that term because it's a CIA term. And that's the last organization that we want to be a part of. Flat Earth divides people, and that's the last thing we need these days, more divided people. All I'm saying is people should investigate or look into it, just like they should investigate and research everything in their lives. Research the post office. Did you know you can mail a letter for three cents? I'm looking at one right now. Look into everything. Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Bush family, researcher city council. That's where they start stealing the money from you in the first place. So is it a shocker that somebody who thinks the Earth is flat is also a hardcore conspiracy theorist? Well, one and two, he also will be running for governor of California once that opens up in February. So <laughs> something else to keep in mind. Uh, and then uh, about launching the day before the Super Bowl, quote, the Super Bowl means nothing. Are the Eagles going to make it this year? Question mark. This, had, this article had happened before uh, Sunday's games. Uh, and then uh, another quote, I should get more viewers than the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl halftime show is nothing but bullshit. You think I care what Tom Brady does? It doesn't matter. He throws a football. And then he goes on to make the point that only people in America call, care about the Super Bowl, yet the rest of the world cares about a man who will change the world, a.k.a. him. Well, in a few days from now, you'll be finding out if uh, his launch went well or not. That's right. 3 p.m. Pacific Saturday, February 3rd. Be there or be square, I guess. I don't know. I'm not really quite sure uh, how to put that one because he probably will hurt himself very, very quickly. You think they are going to stop him again? Oh, Dude, he's got to prove that the Earth is flat by launching a rocket into the sky and then... Uh, you know, I don't know what kind of scientific uh, measures he's going to take or what kind of work he's planning on undertaking, but gosh knows that he hates the Super Bowl and he hates that they're after him. It, it'll be funny if he gets up there and he sees it and he's like, oh, it is round. And then he explodes. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty sad. Uh, is this uh, a culling of the species yet again? Who knows? Who knows? Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we are switching gears from tech and uh, Tide Pods to the paranormal. Uh, first up, some quick hits. Angelo, you linked me to a story where there appeared to be a little boy photobombing a bachelorette party. It's really weird. Uh, people are saying it's a ghost of a little boy that uh, drowned at, in uh, Loch Eck. And um, yeah, it's a weird little boy creeping on a bachelorette party and they didn't see him there. Now, who knows, maybe by the time this comes out, someone will have said that this is a hoax. Oh, I'm very I'm very ready to say it's a hoax for two reasons. One, there are 10 women there. That's not one of their kids, you're telling me? We don't know, but he's he's definitely creeping on them. If you go look at the picture, he's a creepy little guy uh, and uh, he's just staring at them. I'm pretty sure he's just a little boy that nobody noticed and was staring also, the fact that like this isn't a private place. This was a public park. Uh, who knows how many families are around, especially on the weekends, right? Exactly. So I, I don't think it's a ghost. Uh, the girls didn't notice him. And then they saw the creepy little boy uh, who kind of sort of matches the description of a boy that uh, died there, the blue boy um, or something. And he doesn't look four either. <laughs> Is that what you're... Yeah, no. He Like, what would you call this? What would I call this? If you had to name the kid. The uh, Creeper Boy. 
<laughs> I kind of like that. The little, the, the, cre- the dead creeper boy. A douchebag in training. There we go. Now he's going to haunt me. <laughs> Next up is, uh, I like how you titled this one in our show notes. You said UFOs in the news. Uh, yeah. Well, they're in the news again. There's uh, the former Navy pilot who once chased a UFO, says we should take them seriously. This is from the Boston Globe, I think. So we're talking here about David Fravor, who uh, legally says uh, we should take this seriously. He also says, I know what I saw. Uh, and so he had an incident in November 20, uh, 2004 where uh, just off the coast of uh, San Diego, he saw something and he thinks that it is a, an alien-based um, craft. Yeah, and looks like a Tic Tac. Yes. So this dude was in the Navy for 24, the Navy and the Marines for 24 years and uh, seemingly like a, a, a trusted uh, man when it comes to stuff like this. Like he spent most of his life in the air. He knows what to look for. He knows what things look like. Right. So uh, for him to come out and say this, I'm willing to lend this some credibility. But at the same time, uh, a lot of this kind of stuff just gets brushed aside these days, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, because he is a credible source. He's not some weird Yahoo uh, who's strapping himself to a rocket or thinks the earth is flat. But an intelligent uh, naval pilot, uh, you kind of want to listen to him. So if he's saying that he saw something bizarre, he probably saw something bizarre. But the thing is, we don't know what it is. And I don't think he mentions that it's aliens or anything. He just he doesn't know what it is. I think he's. I think it's almost like a read between the lines kind of thing. And then uh, I don't know. That's just the way that I read it. But that could be me. Yeah, he's kind of leaning towards the uh, ETH, I guess. But still. Uh, who knows this and is this the famous video that to the stars academy showed i guess according uh to uh the overlay on the image in the news story it is a to the stars uh production this is a to the stars <laughs> production <joint. laughs> that makes it sound like it's completely fake I don't, it's it's an actual real video the problem is it's there's not much that a layman can see you kind of have to take them at their word but there's not much to kind of see so it's it's, it's a bit a bit strange, but we don't know. Like some, so like hardcore skeptics are saying that it's just an artifact. It's not like not like an ancient artifact. It's an artifacting from the video source that uh, it's an error. And apparently these these devices are prone to these types of errors. But he 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 insisted that he saw it without that. So I don't know. Uh, that's pretty much all we can say is we don't know. We take him at his word. But uh, as we'll find out later in this episode, uh, people have been filming UFOs for a long time and we're still nowhere closer to any sort of answer, unfortunately. Speaking of things that people did not know, uh, the origin of to people, to something that a lot of people uh, have found out the origin of uh, recently in Michigan, there uh, was a meteor burst uh, that looked quite dramatic if you were on the ground, but from... uh, uh, the skies or the cosmos it look kind of neat, right? So there's a bunch of videos that exist over on YouTube of a uh, meteor kind of flashing out in the sky over dramatically over Michigan, which I thought was super cool to look at once you knew what it was. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, actually. If you're, I'm surprised the drivers didn't get uh, super uh, distracted seeing this thing fly over. I, I, I have seen fireballs like that, not that big. But I've seen one or two in my life. It's really cool to see when it does happen. But this one was a particularly large one uh, and completely lit up the sky at one point. 
uh, do you remember a couple of years back, there's a bunch of Ru- uh, Russian dashboard cameras that kind of uh, filmed something exactly like this. And a lot of people had wondered whether or not it was a UFO, but really it kind of looked a lot like a meteor flaming out into our atmosphere. Well, it was, and it, it shattered windows. And it's, it's actually the premise for the show I mentioned last week, uh, Salvation, where uh, I won't ruin the premise of the show, but uh, it's they met like right as the episode, right as the show starts, they talk about that meteor uh, hitting in Russia. Well, there you go. Yeah, and it kind of looks like that. So I think it's really neat to look at. We'll include a link uh, to a Washington Post article with some videos in the show notes. I enjoyed looking at it. Like It was kind of fun to see. Luckily, no one got hurt. A lot of people were mystified and bewildered. A lot of people were tweeting out, is this a bomb? Is this a UFO? Wow. Uh, which, of course, it is not. But hey. Well, after what happened in Hawaii, you kind of freak out sometimes. Yeah, it's super interesting to read about. Definitely go check out that article. So these are little quick hits we're having. We have one more quick hit. And this is a sort of follow-up where... Um, well, we have we have two. Okay, we have two. Okay, we have two. Oh, yeah, we have two. It's true. Well, because one leads into the main Right. Thing. Okay, so let's get into the first one. Is uh, I completely forgot. I had messaged you with a, a new article from Vice following up with the Mothman in Chicago sightings, which I thought were really interesting. Uh, but this, I don't know if you had a chance to read the article, but I towards did. the end, uh, they interview a, a psychologist from the University of Chicago who kind of goes into some really fun stuff in terms of like whether or not people are more likely to report a uh, sort of uh, paranormal incident if other people are speaking up to it. And he also talks about something called the Will Smith effect, which is um, there seems to be a rise in uh, the number of UFO sightings repeated when uh, Men in Black is on TV. Well, not only that, whenever Will Smith has like a blockbuster out that has to do anything with aliens the whole the whole world kind of starts seeing ufos apparently and it's kind of funny to me that uh it's called the will smith effect right and the interesting thing too is that he says that in the case of the chicago mothman there seems to be very little cranks um but actually a lot of like really credible people seeing something or some things right so some people actually are theorizing that it's up to three winged creatures out there uh i don't know if i'd use the word terrorizing in chicago because they actually haven't done anything they're just flying around looking weird so i don't know like uh inhabiting the area of chicago yeah they're not as scary sounding as the point pleasant mothman and uh, somebody in the article mentions that because of that uh, it's not they're not too worried that something bad is going to happen in chicago they they see it as uh maybe being neutral or something possibly positive because he's there is a lot less aggressive than the one in point pleasant so it's kind of interesting would you that call the would you call the point pleasant mothman the like big daddy mothman like the og mothman? oh yeah it's got to be uh yeah so here's a tangential thought uh are they hibernating this winter? Like there have been a drop off in the number of sightings over the last couple of months. Are they, you know, when it's cold, are they just, they're in Florida, you know, with the skunk ape hanging out, just hanging out in Florida or in Mexico. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't think so because these things, uh, if, if what they do is, is true, what they say that they do is true. then I don't think they'd have the need to hibernate because they just apparently just float and have giant wings and do not cause uh, the, nothing seems to cause them any harm there but <laughs> you kind of got me with that one who knows maybe they are hibernating it is colder in chicago than it, it was in point pleasant so who knows also uh, something to think about is this a new uber service <laughs> the mothman uber service uber wing uber wing huh, interesting <laughs> It's like a, a new tier of, uh, not Uber though. Uber is kind of scuzzy. Maybe they're they're a Lyft. See, it makes more sense. They they're lift. all scuzzy though. They're all scuzzy. Are they Lyft? I heard is yeah. a little better. 
Well, well I mean, like, uh, I guess uh, perspective uh, perhaps rings them as the less eviler entity at this point, but I'm not willing to trust any of these people. Uh, let's move things from Chicago to uh, south of the American border. And by that, I mean, let's talk about some UFOs in Mexico. A patch of land, a building or structure. What can we tell about its function? Is it filled with little green men? Or better yet, a bona fide true alien? Ladies and gentlemen, it's UFO Hotspots. Welcome back to Double Density, and we'll be talking about some UFO hotspots, uh, specifically Mexico. So uh, earlier this year, because we're still in January, so I can still say that kind of thing, uh, someone had filmed uh, what seemed to be a flying aircraft in the skies of Mexico. And I've watched the video a couple of times, and we'll link to it in the show notes. But Angelo, having watched it a couple of times yourself, what do you think it is? Well, it doesn't really look like an aircraft. It looks like a flying blob more than anything else. Uh, some people think it looks like a man in a jetpack. Other people think it's some sort of alien that's actually just floating in the sky. To me, it looks like that uh, quote-unquote orb I spotted this summer and posted on our YouTube page. To me, I think... and I. Uh... I definitely don't disagree that it could be either some kind of optical illusion or I was thinking perhaps it was a drone, like a dressed up drone. Really? It was too blobby to look like a drone. Uh, and So here's one of the problems I have with the video, right? So someone's in a car moving, which makes it harder to get points of reference for this thing. Yeah. And is she driving and filming at the same time? Because that is dangerous. That's also another double density PSA. Don't film UFOs and drive. Pull off to the side of the road and get that darn UFO. She obviously has not read your article that you wrote uh, early in the life of our website. Right. Uh, a couple of things. She tried to keep it steady, which was good. Um, but yeah, the, um, the fact that we don't have a constant reference point kind of bothers me. And the thing that like, it does look like it's floating, but I definitely do think it could be a man-made anything. Really, it could be a balloon for all we know. And Or could it be uh, some like... Uh, like, so in the case of my orb, in case you're wondering what I was talking about before, it was actually like a tiny silkworm just sort of hanging in front of the camera from a tree. And I, it made it look like it was dancing over uh, further away. Now, could it be there was something hanging in her car and it was just getting caught in the camera? It could be that. I mean, the thing is that... Um some of the stuff in the foreground, though, kind of makes it look like it's not because she drives uh, or whoever is driving drives over some stuff and there's some buildings and things like that that yeah. uh, place it in the background of that. So I, I don't know if that's the case. I see. And I was wondering if that was in itself an optical illusion of it artifacting and making it look like it was going behind those things when it was actually in front because of the way the, the colors were kind of meshing together. But who knows? It could actually be something further away and just floating in the sky. I'm just not convinced it's anything truly special it's just something there blobby i i definitely agree with that i think it's kind of a dubious kind of video i'm not willing to go one way or the other on it uh as i see more and more of these videos though it leads me down to being a more of a skeptic about um you know these unidentified flying objects actually being non-terrestrial in nature and my problem also with the video again we're not we're left with very little context she's just driving in the car and then it, it just starts and it just ends and we don't see what happens to this object either way. If you saw that, wouldn't like, and you were like super interested in see, figuring out what it was, wouldn't you just stop the car and sort of see if you can figure out what it was? Maybe she absolutely one hundred percent. Who knows? One hundred percent. Just stop in the middle of the road. It's for UFO's sake. 
<laughs> pull off to the side be smart about it uh i mean let's turn our sights from something dubious to kind of something uh a little more concrete and i use that term uh almost farcically because this is clearly a much more concrete case of uh ufos uh in mexico city and so this one occurred uh two and a half decades ago in 1991 yeah there was sort of a flap in mexico at that point even from 91 to 93 i would say uh mexico city and just the surrounding areas were almost a hot spot uh, i'd like to say hot spot and um it started with the uh july 11th 1991 total solar eclipse which was apparently the last total solar eclipse of the 20th century or at least in this area um in north america and people caught what seemed like metallic floating objects in the sky. And these were very clearly caught on videotape back then. Nobody had little uh, pocket computers with cameras on them. So they had cameras out. You had to make an effort. You had to make an effort to to film anything with that. And the good thing is it it showed up during a solar eclipse. And a lot of people had their cameras out during the solar eclipse, which was uh, pretty great. Uh, Good timing on the UFO's part. I definitely do think that uh, this is one of the more well-documented instances of uh, a UFO or um, an object in the sky caught by dozens of people, right? So a lot of this footage is now uh, readily available thanks to the magic of the internet. And I spent a lot of time viewing them, and it's a striking image to behold. It is really like the classic flying saucer metallic object that looks like a ball. Um, not well, not necessarily ball, saucer, whatever. Like, it's interesting because it's the the striking thing is, and what everybody kept saying in these who were interviewed about these videos is that it's metallic on top, and there's this dark shadow underneath, saying that it can't be anything else but a solid object in the sky. And we'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to what it could be other than that because. Some people think it's something else, which is, uh, I don't know if I I buy the other explanation. It's so hard to kind of understand what you're seeing because this is 1991, um, not exactly the highest quality. And I wonder if we haven't seen anything like this recently because our high quality cameras that we have wouldn't capture it because it's there because it's an artifact from the videotape or one of my favorite uh, concepts or ideas maybe alien tech prevents us from seeing that because of the fact that we have developed all of these cameras from recovered alien tech yeah you keep bringing that one out i don't know if i buy that one at all <laughs> i mean it is a fun one to think about right so it's always fun yeah that uh we can't get these ufos uh, because we're using their tech. That's where Steve Jobs got his ideas for the iPhone. Uh, So in preparing for this episode, I went down the rabbit hole of an old UFO special, uh, UFOs, the best evidence caught on tape with uh, Commander Riker, Jonathan Frakes. Smooth voice. Uh, Yes, he's great. Uh, He's probably probably the best part of that thing. He also hosted a weird... um, Alien autopsy. He hosted that too? Yeah. And the other one, Factor Fiction, too. He hosted. Yes. So he was, he was into that paranormal stuff. It was pretty great. And um, watching that, uh, I saw they, they spent a lot of time with this metallic uh, UFO in Mexico. There was a few. 
So the main one, which we said, was during the eclipse. And there's actually a few people who were videotaping that day and caught that same metallic object. And one of the quotes actually was interesting in that show uh, towards the end of it that said, because this was in the 90s, right? So early 2000s, not many people had camcorders. And one guy said, if 100,000 people had camcorders or cameras, Congress would have to open their eyes to have a study. UFO disclosure. So this was 18 years ago. I think this was in the 2000 episode that came out because they had one in 97 and one in 2000. And I'm pretty sure there's more than 100,000 people with camcorders now because everybody has a cell phone that has an amazing, uh, if not HD, 4K camera uh, on them that can capture amazing footage. And we're seeing, we're not seeing any footage this amazing. Think about my theory. Yes, Brian. It's, it has to be the fact that it's like uh, it's, it's encrypted against aliens. And that our, is correct. Yeah. Uh, one of the more interesting aspects of the July 11th, 1991 signing, though, is the fact of the pedigree of a lot of these people, right? So this guy, uh, Jamie Mosan, who was part of the Mexican version of 60 Minutes, was one of the people out there uh, filming the eclipse. And suddenly he looks up and him and his camera crew get to see this object. Yeah. And he went uh, hardcore into UFOs after that. Because, uh, he must have had an interest before. Because he ran this story on his show, and the whole country went crazy for it. Everybody he said was something cl- like 40,000 phone calls, and they crashed the system. Yeah, uh, that, that's pretty incredible. And so I, I was kind of alluding to the fact that it could be something else. And um, Tim Printy, on his uh, very old-looking website, so I don't know if he's updating anymore. This is from 2003. It's quite a while ago. Um, he He tries to go about debunking it, and... He's an astronomer, and he says, very uh, convinced of it, with conviction, I guess would be, uh, that it's probably just Venus. I find this an interesting argument, but the way in which he makes it is very condescending, too, in the way that he writes it, right? So uh, as much as I want to believe him, his tone kind of strikes me as... Uh, a man who knows better than me. And while he might, because he is an astronomer by trade, that's not exactly how you treat the public into believing you. He's Yeah, he comes off really smarmy. I... Uh, uh, guys like him give skeptics a bad name because if you would explain it well, you can maybe tell somebody and explain to them properly that, look, I believe it's Venus because of this. And he brings up some amazingly good points. This thing never moves. The only movement it does is when the camera moves. Everybody kind of seems to see it in the same quadrant of the sky. Yes, the only way something can show up in all these different places at the same time is not that if it's close by, it's super far away, and it just looks like that in the sky. And because of the, the, the eclipse, it kind of ended up being a little brighter. Another thing to consider, too, is he talks about the time frame in which this appears, right? So it appears right before and after the eclipse, and not any time during uh, any other uh, time periods. Yeah, and if you're a UFO with, from alien uh, planets that can come and travel across the galaxy... You're not going to just stick around for a solar eclipse. Who cares? You see these all the time. Like, you can go wherever you want to see these things. So I, I don't think it was there because of that. I think he does bring up a good, good point. I just wish he would explain it in a less condescending way and in a more like Carl Sagan type way, uh, to not be like a jerk about it. 
one of the minor points that he brought up that actually made me think of something is that he was complaining that he had spent money on a VHS tape that purported to have a uh, new footage of this UFO incident, but it did not. It got me thinking about the, the cottage industry of those sorts of like uh, niche uh, cassette tapes that you could go pick up for 30 40 bucks that are documentaries you know that existed in a time before the internet where you actually had to scour uh printed materials and uh, television shows and other things like that in order to be able to order these things i really don't miss that at all i do like that i can just go on youtube and just call up anything i want or uh, in the case of uh, the best evidence uh, the ufo thing i was just easily able to find it on netflix and it did come in handy now while uh, Printy's explanation of Venus kind of explains certain things, it doesn't completely explain everything. Because, there, like I said before, there was a flap in Mexico from 91 to 93, and maybe beyond. But from 91 to 93 at the uh, Mexican Independence Day air show, a UFO kept getting caught on tape. In 91, uh, a UFO was caught on tape by a man named Vincente Sanchez Guerrero, and he was filming these planes, and he just ended up seeing a UFO while he was filming. So he stopped filming the planes and started filming the UFO. And then as it got closer, guess what happened to his camera, Brian? It broke. The battery just died. So it of was course. a full battery, and of course it died. And uh, witnesses say that five of those jets ended up breaking off formation to chase uh, after this UFO. And then uh, in 92, another show, a UFO showed up. And then in 93, another UFO showed up. And it flew through a squadron of helicopters. And you kind of see it being this light that ends up passing in front of these helicopters and like between them and behind them. It was kind of interesting uh, to see that happen. And uh, I'd encourage you to, I'll see if I can find a clip of this on YouTube. I'm not sure I did find, like I said, I found it on Netflix in the uh, first episode of uh, UFO's Best Evidence Caught on Tape and uh, somewhere towards the middle of the episode I'd encourage you actually to watch the whole thing. There's some garbage in there. Uh, for example, they show that. Did you ever see that weird orb that flies over a field and creates a crop circle out of nothing? Yes. Yeah, it's completely fake. So they had that. But although they kind of did say it might be a hoax. No, it's definitely a hoax, that one. Uh, these, though, aren't hoaxes. They're people that were filming something. And they're all really interesting. That It's funny that it kept showing up during uh, this air show. And there's another. Do you think it wanted to be included and it just never happened? Like he, it was an ostracized alien <laughs> he who was totally, not part of the yeah. program. Yeah, he had left his planet to come to Earth to be a part of one of our really cool air shows, and he would show everyone <laughs> up. He just couldn't cut it on like Grexor Planet Seven or whatever he's from, and uh, he decided to come here. He'd definitely show up those helicopters, and then he kind of got nervous and flew away because he saw people filming him. Uh, yeah. Very quickly, though, uh, rewinding back to the July 11th. Rewinding, because we're talking about videotapes. Exactly. Uh, but going back to the July 11th, 1991 setting, here's a thought for you. Is it a uh, shadow craft? We talked about shadow people last week. Maybe it's a shadow craft. Shadow craft. That sounds like what uh, shadow people spies do. But that's what I'm saying. It's like a shadow delivery uh, service. Like <laughs> Uber for shadows? Yeah, like it opens up, uh, like uh, the idea of the eclipse opens up some kind of passageway that uh, shadow people can pass through with their little uh, shadow uh, saucers. <laughs> Just tossing that out there. No scientific basis at all. Because that's what we do here. Conjecture. Yeah, and they did have like the shiny metallic top with the shadow underneath it. And that's where the shadow people just fall out of. There you go. We were, we're solving all of these things left, right, and center here, Angelo. But you want to mention one more case. Well, we're still going to get haunted by shadow people. They're going to get upset listening to this podcast. 
My my cat's getting very upset right now. She sees a shadow person. Yeah, maybe. So, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, there, yeah, there's one other case that they brought up, and it was about fifth graders who saw this UFO. And I think they didn't mention the name of the school, but I'm pretty sure I saw in their T-shirts was like a maple leaf, and then they said it, underneath it said Colegio Montreal, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, and so they said all these kids drew this picture of a UFO that they all saw, which was nothing like the other UFOs, of course. It was like these three dots with these lines. Uh, again, watch the watch the special if you can. Uh, but the thing that struck me is that, um, uh, I think his name is pronounced Jaime Masson, not Jamie. You, you Americanized it, Brian. Or Canadianized it, I guess. Yeah, let's go. With, sorry, Jaime, yes. Yes. He said that these little kids were very intent and they all drew the same thing. And he said they would have no reason to lie. Kids would have no reason to lie. Okay, as a father of two kids, kids have all reasons to lie. They love lying. They love making How stuff up. How often do they lie to you? My kids, no, they don't, you know what? My kids don't necessarily always lie to me. They, they just kind of, they're kids, right? They'll say something silly. The kids were saying, like, the kids, they, they were saying they have no reason to, to want attention. Kids love attention. They love to make things up. You can never believe anything a kid tells you most of the time. Like, okay, this morning, my daughter woke up convinced somebody was screaming in the house at 4 (laughs) a.m. What? Yes. Like, I heard somebody scream this morning. No, you didn't. You were dreaming. No, I wasn't dreaming. I got up and somebody was screaming. We were both, my wife and I were both up at 4 o'clock in the morning because my son woke up to go to the bathroom. No one was screaming. So what you're trying to tell me is that both your kids might be haunted. And between your son seeing something in the moon and your daughter hearing screaming everywhere, you're, you did not celebrate your house's birthday properly, so therefore it's payback. It's funny, just before we started recording, I heard a commotion upstairs, and I went upstairs to check, and my daughter was uh, annoyed because her uh, blind went up by itself. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, time to get the Ouija board. Yeah. That's a great idea. I'm sure some of our listeners are in total agreement with that. Um, uh, but you can uh, go ahead and tweet at us if you think this is a great idea. Double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing with Instagram, double density podcast. If you want to email us, double density podcast at gmail.com, or you can head over to our website, double density.net, click on the contact link in order to drop us a line as to whether or not Angelo should have a Ouija seance in his home. I've had uh, this discussion with a few listeners on Twitter. And uh, I can tell you that they would uh, be vehemently opposed to... Do it! Do it! I wanted to yell really loudly, but I want to be in front of the mic when I did <laughs> it, crazy. as to how, how much I enjoy this. <laughs> oh, and I guess with that, we're bringing episode 40 of Double and Density to a close, right, Angelo? I think it's time. Uh, let's, I'm going to go make sure that my house is not haunted. Maybe a, I'll burn some sage and walk around the house with it hopefully not setting off my lovely nest protect smoke alarms that is not a sponsorship but if nest wants to sponsor us we're up for it double density podcast at gmail.com and you can always tune in next week as we explore the idea of alien based cuisine do you think they even have cookies uh angelo i will see you next week shadow cookies maybe you know what i would love to taste a shadow cookie i'll I'll whip some up for you after that ouija board seance Perfect. I'll see you around. Bye, Brian. Good luck. See you, you, Brian. Hold on. I'm not going to talk because my dishwasher is emptying.
Do you hear it? Yeah. It's usually silent. It's almost, it's very soothing. 